0: To, um, I want to think about just one one hint or one one thing that I think will help us do a better job of evaluation than, or, or just one thing to keep in mind uh, as we as we inevitably do that this week and the next few weeks, and probably have the the few weeks before. And I mean, we've all probably said it, uh, maybe thought it. Uh, you know, 2021 has to be better than 2020. But it doesn't. It could be worse. We we don't know. And uh, that's what Derek was talking about. If we have our hope in the fact that 2021 will be better than 2020, that may or may not come to pass. But if we have our hope in the great hope of Jesus Christ and the coming kingdom and the resurrection then uh, when we realize that hope, we will be satisfied. So I want to start with a verse of self-evaluation where one of our biblical authors does a little bit of self-evaluation, and it's 2 Timothy chapter 4. The Apostle Paul believes that he's near the end of his life, and he writes these words to his disciple Timothy. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, And I have remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. Let us pray. Lord, if we were each to make a list... Uh, of the things we're concerned about, the things, uh, the things in this world, in this life, that cause us trouble and grief and suffering. And we combined our list, it would be long. And yet, as Paul points out, out to us here, none of those things, whether they're accomplished or not, are the right prize that we should be aiming for, that we should be working towards and living towards. But here we have the great prize for those who eagerly look forward to the return and the appearing of Jesus Christ. All our tears will be wiped away. All our wounds will be healed. All our relationships will be like that of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So this is the hope that we long for and the reality that we seek in our walk as disciples of Jesus Christ to live towards. I pray, God, that you give us courage on this journey and strength to continue in the direction that we ought to. Amen. You know, as I brought my bicycle up onto the stage, I was thinking about my father. And my father has been gone for a few years now already. uh, And I was um, thinking about that. And I was thinking about the fact that, as most of you, maybe all of you know, my father was a pastor. So that means from the day I was born, the first Sunday I was home, until I left home, and then if you add in a few weeks and months and Sundays that came after that, I probably heard my dad preach about a thousand times. So that's a lot of sermons to hear from your father. Now, if I'm honest, I'm pretty sure I I haven't really racked through my memory. I can only remember three of those sermons. Now, that doesn't mean I don't remember any of the others. Like, there's many things that my dad taught that I know, that I've internalized, that are part of me. Uh, My understanding of the world and of God and of salvation is very similar to his. I sat under him both in the home and in the church for many years... And that formed me, and I can tell you many things he taught, and I'm sure in sermons. But in terms of actually being being able to repeat the message, remember it well enough that I could tell you what it was. I think there's only three. And on one of those messages, he brought a bicycle onto the stage. So I'm going to plagiarize from my father, and I'm going to teach you, I'm going to preach his message this morning. I remember it quite clearly. It made an impression on me. There's a few things that this bicycle wheel can illustrate in terms of the church and the kingdom and the race that we find ourselves in that I think are worth worth repeating. So the way this illustration goes is all of this space out here is the whole world. And uh, the world is somewhat directionless. Uh, People choose their goals that they're going to strive towards, and some people choose similar goals, some people choose very different goals, and it's just all over the place. Uh, The wheel represents the church of Jesus Christ. And so the tire and the rim is a very specific thing, and that is what I talked about last Sunday in John chapter 1, verse 12 to 14, there was three things that John uh, gave us as our response and his response to the coming of Jesus Christ, the God of the universe, putting on human flesh, living among us, and suffering with us, and then dying, being raised from the dead, and ascending into heaven as our great high... John doesn't mention in that passage about the great high priest, but, but that, that whole thing, that we call it the gospel, the good news, the story of how God provided a way for our salvation that we we could become adopted as his children and we could enter his kingdom and together be part of his body on earth. Okay, that all is represented by the tire. Now, once once you've crossed, and, and John gave us three words, accept or first believe all this good news, accept it, which means... Agreeing with God and saying, I can't achieve my own salvation. I can't get there myself. I need a helper. I need a savior. And that is Jesus Christ. Believe, accept, and then the third word was receive. Receive blessings from God. And that's the process of growth. We receive blessings from God. We receive strength from God. We we receive uh, encouragement by the Holy Spirit. And we grow towards the center, the hub, which is the prize which is heaven which is peace which is rest which is the full knowledge of God which is we will be like him because we meet him face to face all of those different descriptions in the bible of of that future hope that Derek talked about and I've talked about and Paul talked about in first second Timothy that's the hub that's the goal we're all on a track to the same goal now i think the the deception of this model is the goal is actually far bigger than all of the rest of this. But in this, uh, on this wheel, it's the smallest piece. But there's a reason why that, that's the smallest piece, which we'll get to a bit later, um, when in reality, that's where the illustration falls down. So in light of this illustration, if you can get your head around that, uh, I want to introduce you to two people. The first person... is Mr. Purple. Now, Mr. Purple is out here in the world going about his life, and if, if anyone in town knows anything about Mr. Purple, it's this. He's got a dirty mouth. People who don't even know him have heard him in Walmart or, or in Canadian Tire or on the street, or, and they, they know this guy has a bad mouth. He curses, he swears, he says all manner of things that embarrass most people, but he does it with great gusto and apparently pride. Now, Mr. Purple, and, and I'm sorry, if there's any resemblance to anyone you know in Wainwright, that's not intended. He's an, this is an imaginary fuzz dot <laughs> that represents a person. Any of the people I talk about today fall into that category. But an amazing thing happens to Mr. Purple. He gets to know some of the people from within the church in his town. And he begins, to his surprise, he begins believing the claims of the gospel. He begins believing that this name that he uses in vain all the time is actually the name of a savior. And uh, he starts to accept that truth into his heart. And as he does that, he moves from here, he moves to here. And he, he believes, and he accepts, and he receives salvation. Now he's part of the body. Now he's part of the church. And something happens that astounds everybody. Instantly, like day and night, his language just clears right up. He never struggles with it again. He just stops. Swearing. He just stops saying saying all that. The people in the church notice, his family notices, the people at work notices, everybody notices the the big dramatic difference. And he's given many opportunities to share the gospel because people ask him, What happened to you? You don't sound like the same person because he doesn't sound like the same person and he's not the same person. It just falls away. Now, Let me introduce you to another person. This is Mrs. Pink. Now, Mrs. Pink is similar in some ways to Mr. Purple, and you can probably guess which way. She's got a dirty mouth. Whenever she gets emotional, whether she's excited, even just a little bit, or whether someone cuts her off on the road or whatever it is, it all comes pouring out of her mouth. And everybody knows that and can hear it and can... uh, sometimes is uncomfortable around her. Like Mr. Purple, Mrs. Pink begins to deepen in relationships with some of her Christian friends. She finds herself beginning to believe the claims of the gospel, and she finds herself accepting that she can't save herself, she can't reform herself, she can't get to the prize on her own. She needs help. She needs a savior. And she accepts Jesus. And she becomes a Christian. But to her surprise and everyone else's, her language stays the same, nothing changes. She comes to church. She's in the foyer, foyer. she she sees someone that she hadn't seen and she's excited to see. And as whenever she gets emotional, it just comes out. People don't actually do it, but you can almost imagine parents covering their, their children's ears. Now, we could look at these two people and we could judge them. But there's something happening in their lives that we can't see. Mrs. Pink over here hasn't had the same experience as Mr. Purple in terms of her language, in terms of being able. She knows she, she wants to. She tries to clean up her language, but she can't do it. It just, it just keeps happening. But Mrs. Pink makes a phone call. She hasn't talked to her father in years. She's treated him badly. She makes a phone call. First time, he hangs up. Second time, he talks a little Third time, she's able to ask him for his forgiveness. She's thinking, Jesus forgave me for all the awful things i had done. Surely I can forgive my father for the awful things he's done. And when she does that, she becomes a little more like Jesus. She becomes a little more godly. She goes to visit her mother, Her parents, of course, are divorced for many years. She goes to visit her mother. And over the course of several visits and many conversations, her mother not only forgives her, but becomes a Christian and joins the church in her town. None of the people in this church know anything about any of that. They can't see it. They can't hear it. But Mrs. Pink is a little more godly than she was a few months ago. Now, Mr. Purple here, he hasn't got together with his parents. But the church invites him up on stage to share his testimony. His miraculous, and it is miraculous. I don't want to minimize that. It's amazing what God did to his language, to his mouth. But they don't invite Mrs. Pink because they're afraid of what she might say. But if you knew the truth of it the way God knows the truth of it, Mrs. Pink has made more progress towards godliness, toward the prize than Mr. Purple. So here's my advice in terms of uh, evaluating ourselves this year. Compare yourself to who you were yesterday, not who others are today. You see, the truth is, we just are not close enough to most of the people we know to actually know what's going on in their lives and in their hearts. If this is the church, you look at all of these people, they're far apart from each other. The person over here, sure, might meet these two every Sunday in the foyer of the church or see them across the aisle, hear what, how they're talking, but they have no idea what's going on in their life, what they're struggling with, what their victories are. Um, you know, if you if just wanted to imagine an explanation for this, it's really not that difficult to think about. You see, Mr. Purple here, he didn't always have a bad mouth. But when he was uh, in high school and he was kind of of smaller stature and the other boys were picking on him and beating on him now and then, one day he just kind of snapped and he just said all the horrible things he could think of that he'd ever heard in a movie or anything. And all the other boys just kind of took a step back and left him alone for a bit. So he learned a strategy that he could make himself big in a room, in a presence, in a crowd, if he talked that way. And so he kept doing it more and more and more. No one bothered him because they were scared of him. They, they were scared of what he might say and what it might sound like. They were afraid of for the children in the room. They were, they were trying to protect themselves from, from his mouth. That's so how he made himself big. Well, when he accepted Jesus and understood and realized deep in his heart that he was truly accepted that he didn't have to make an impression on people anymore his need for that language just dropped off he knew he was adopted as a child of god and he didn't have to impress anybody whereas mrs pink lived in a family where that's the way everyone talked in fact the way when when the story in the family goes like this her first word was not mom or dad, it was a swear word. And everyone laughed and praised her and thought it was, was so funny that that would be her first word. She just, she, she couldn't talk any other way. It was so deep in her subconscious language centers in her brain, she, she, couldn't, she couldn't break it. Doesn't mean she never will. Doesn't mean she likes to talk like that anymore. But it's a different issue, it's a different problem in her life than Mr. Purple. And so they respond differently, and God does leads them down a different path. As, and, and this is what's so incredible about, about the verse I started with. I've told you this before, and I'm sure you know. Almost everywhere where Paul writes letters in our New Testament, the pronoun he uses is the, is the you plural. You Christians, you grow together. It's together. It's the body. It's Everything he writes is about the community of the believers together. But here's one of the few places where he uses the singular and it's reference to himself and putting himself and saying, this is my example. You should go this way too. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have remained faithful. And now... As I near the end, I'm looking forward to the prize. In other words, when he judges his own spiritual growth, he doesn't compare himself to other people. He looks at his own past, and he sees, I've run the race. Whatever obstacles have come, I've persevered. I've remained faithful. And that's how... That's how he did it. This is the example he shows us. And it's this example. Compare yourselves to who you were yesterday, not to who others are today. This is why Jesus said these words. Do not judge others, and you will not be judged, for you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of the speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. Get rid of the log in your own eye. Then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Now, when Jesus gives this explanation of how we should not judge one another, there's clearly an element in here where we do help each other, but it's not by judging. It's not by saying, "What's it's it's not that way." The, the way we help each other is by growing ourselves and then sharing that blessing with each other. We get the law. I get the log out of my eye, and I share that with everyone, and everyone sees, and everyone's encouraged, and they go down their own path towards perfection uh, with more courage, with my, with my help, not with my judgment. That's what Jesus is teaching us. We, as, I, as I said, we just simply aren't close enough, even to most people who we would call good friends, to, to really know what's happening in their life. So we shouldn't judge. Well, we do know our own heart, and we should examine our own heart and see, have I progressed towards godliness in 2020? Or have I gone the other direction? Have I moved away? There's another verse. um, Let's see. I read that one, right? Okay, Hebrews chapter 6, another verse about growth. So let us stop going over the basic teaching about Christ again and again. So that's talking about this stuff. We all know that. We're in the church, we're Christians. Now we've got to go over that when we're talking to people over here. But, but people in here, he's saying, let's stop going over those basic teachings about Christ again and again. Let us go instead and become mature in our understanding. Surely, we don't need to start again with the fundamental importance of repenting from our evil deeds and placing our faith in God. You don't need further instruction about baptism and the laying on of hands, the resurrection of dead, and eternal judgment. And so, God willing, we will move forward to further understanding. So that's what we should be aiming for, striving for. Do I understand more? Than I did last year. Not only the kind of understanding that's, that's so valued in our culture, you can pass a test, but the scriptures are talking about the kind of understanding that has turned into transformation of living. In the scriptures, wisdom is when you actually do what you know. We can know things without doing them, but then we don't really know them. We know about them. God willing, I, lo- I love how he puts that, it's not always going to happen. Sometimes it's not. We run into obstacles that pause us for a while, maybe even make us backtrack a bit. But God willing, we will move forward to further understanding. That's what we strive for. That's what we're aiming for. We're all aiming for that center where there is perfect peace and rest. striving for it. The whole language of both of these passages or all of these passages means it's not easy. It's a struggle. It's a race. I didn't put a... I didn't put a slide on the picture. I put a mountain bike race. There's obstacles that can trip you up and throw you over the handlebars. It's going to happen. But are you striving still? Are you pushing towards that goal? Or are you spending all of your time comparing yourself to others and saying, "Mm, I'm pretty good. Better than that guy. Better than that girl. Then we can get lazy. That's not how we should operate. Now, I want to um, carry on just a few other illustrations on this wheel. The first one is this I've already mentioned it, but each person has their own process, their own race to run. Paul always talks plural, but when he talked about this, he said, I have run my race. He got singular. He got emphatically singular. I have run my race. I've got my track. We're all heading the same place, but we've all got different starting points. I'm going down my track hard, and uh, and the prize awaits me. In this sense, it might be better to think about it like a triathlon, a three-person triathlon. So let's say we've got uh, a runner and a swimmer that, that just push to exhaustion. They, they just really do well. They, they take their leg of the race and put all their, everything out there and do a good job. And then the cyclist comes along and he and he's, gets on the bicycle and he goes across the start line of the bicycle race and then he sets down the bicycle and sits down on the grass and starts eating a picnic. And you come to him and you say, well, why are you doing that? And he says, well, well." Look at the swimmer and the, and the uh, runner. They, they did so good. I, I'm not... My bicycle ability doesn't even close to compare to how good they did in their races. There's no point of even trying. I could never achieve their level. I, I might as well just sit here. And he stalled out on the race because he's comparing himself to other people. Instead of to his previous self if he would just strive, if he would just run the race and finish the course. Who knows if the other racers don't get a flat and get behind him? Who knows if his other teammates did so well that they're going to place well in the race, even if he doesn't place so well? But at the very least, at least he finishes. Maybe he will do better than last year, and they'll still come in last place because of his poor ability. But it's better than last year. And so um, we each have our own race. We each have our own obstacles. Uh, some things we do together, some things we do, do alone, and everything that we can cooperate in and support one another in, we're going to all do better in. But we each have our own course. Comparing ourselves to others today is just not useful. It's not even, I believe, scriptural. Don't judge. Work on your own race. But do it together with others. So there's something else. Um, I'm, I'm putting my, my notes in order, sorry. Okay, I'll, I'll go to this one. We don't all start at the same place. I've alluded to this a couple of times. This isn't a perfect illustration on the on the wheel, but I'm going to do it anyways, because my dad did. You see, if we understand godliness, Christian character, being able to live and have the attitudes in life and the priorities uh, that Jesus did, then some people like Mr. Orange here don't actually start. Out here, some people have great grandparents and grandparents and parents that have lived a godly example, and it's like they start over here. Now we we do understand that 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 there is there is a way in which uh, people in this situation are sometimes deceived. They've never actually accepted and believed. So they're not actually receiving salvation. So that's an issue separate from this illustration, but we're aware of it. But in many cases, I think most cases, when we're raised in a Christian place, we don't have the same miracle as these two. It's a different miracle. It's a miracle of a legacy of faithfulness. It's like a head start. We're raised with the character of Jesus Christ, as as just almost innate in us to some extent. Now, now we all know from our own hearts that we're not consistent in that. It's not perfect. But some people start over here. So let's just do a comparison. If Mr. Orange starts here, he had to do this, but in terms of his godliness of character, he starts over here. And Mrs. Pink... Starts over here. Now Mrs. Pink becomes a Christian. She has some invisible victories that, that improve her character. And she's there. So she's traveled this far towards godliness. And Mr. Orange, given his head start, starts here. And he's gone a little bit like this. And then he became a teenager and went a little bit like this. Then he got married, had kids, and thought he better get serious about things and went a little bit like this. He's ahead of her, right? Well, if we judge against each other, he is. But if he judges against who he was last year, he's in the same place where she's made a lot of progress towards godliness. So what does that mean for us? It means we shouldn't compare ourselves to the others, to what they are today. We should compare ourselves to who I was yesterday. Have I moved? Have I pushed on in the race? Have I hit those obstacles with determination? Even if I've slowed almost to a crawl, have I picked up my bike and carried it up the hill instead of giving up? Am I still moving towards that goal? That's another thing the wheel illustrates. And um, let's read another another verse about growth that helps us think about these things. 1 Corinthians 3, 1. Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would to spiritual people. I had to talk to you as though you belonged to this world, as though you were infants in Christ. I had to feed you with milk, not with solid food, because you weren't ready for anything stronger. And you still aren't ready, for you are still controlled by your sinful nature. You are jealous of one another and quarrel with each other. In other words, you're comparing yourself with each other. In terms of whether I'm doing good, it's because I'm doing better than that person. That produces quarrels and jealousy. Doesn't that prove you are controlled by your sinful nature? Aren't you living like people of the world? And that again reiter- reiter- reiterates my, my advice for the new year. Compare yourself to who you were yesterday, not to who others are today. It's a tragedy. It's a tragedy when, when a person... I mean, if you could imagine a 15 year old still waiting in bed and crying till mother brings a bottle. It's just I mean it sometimes happens because of disabilities and things but it's just not right. And that's what happens to us spiritually sometimes. We just I mean this stuff is amazingly wonderful the stuff that for which we enter into the family but we strive towards the meat. We strive towards the more difficult things. We strive towards the solid food. We don't get jealous of each other and compare ourselves to each other. Because the only reason we do that is to make, I do that, I should put it on myself, because I might be the only one here. The reason I do that, I know, because I know my own heart, I don't know yours, but the reason I do that is because it makes me feel good just staying where I am if I can find other people who aren't as godly as me. Of course, when I say it like that, it becomes obvious, doesn't it? By just doing that, I'm obviously not as godly as the other people because I'm living out of the flesh. But I can do that sometimes. And as we evaluate the new year, we should be careful not to do it that way. Let us strive for the solid food. Now, there's two more things that the wheel can show us. Um, let's take one more character. We've got Mr. Green. Mr. Lime Green is very godly. Of course, I don't compare myself to him. But he's made a lot of progress. Everyone knows people go to him for advice, for prayer. Uh, a person that is highly respected in his spiritual life. Now, if I take this wheel and spin it, who's traveling faster? Just put your finger on it. That's right. Mr. Green's traveling, in terms of the distance he's going, much less than Mr. Purple, he's much slower. Now, when we slow in our growth, we can get discouraged. But I can tell you from my own experience and from many people that I've tried to counsel in spiritual growth, I believe it's a, I think it's a universal. I haven't encountered anything different. Most people, when they first become Christians, grow fast. And the further along we go, it feels to us like we're going much slower. We're not making the kind of progress that we used to, that we hope to, and I don't think that's. I mean, we 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 want to reach the prize. We don't want to. Uh, we don't want to. Um, we don't want to slow down. But I think it inevitably happens, and I, I believe I know the reason. It's because when we start on this journey, when we start on this race we're dealing with stuff that's actually fairly easy to deal with. We're dealing with stuff that's obviously of the world, and we can quite easily push it aside. We can quite easily find the, the strength of Christ to replace those hungers and with, with godly things, and, and we, we make fast progress. But when we get further down the wheel, we start encountering things that are very deep, and very difficult. And it takes harder work and more time. And sometimes it's the same thing. I, I, could, I couldn't tell you, I haven't obviously kept track, but people have come to me as a pastor, and probably to you too, many, many times with this issue. Years ago, I overcame that temptation of the flesh. And I've lived without it all these years. And here I am in my You know, I should be so mature now and I'm struggling with that temptation again. What's happening? And they think they've gone all the way back. But as we discuss, as we pray, this is what I find. Imagine this. You have a a large poplar tree in your yard and it's cutting out all the sun, all the goodness, all the light. It's dark. And so you decide... That's right here at this stage. You decide to cut it off. The poplar tree represents your flesh, the desires of your flesh. You decide to cut it off, and you chop. It's hard work, but you chop that tree right down. You chop it into pieces, and you chuck it out of the yard, and it's gone. And it's bright and sunny, and you can see God. And then later on in the summer, several little poplar shoots shoot up through the grass. As soon as you see them, you cut them off. Everything looks good. More poplar shoots shoot up next summer. You cut them off, cut the grass. You cut the grass twice a week instead of once so you can cut those poplar shoots off. And finally, in your maturity as a Christian, when you're being asked to sit on the board of the church, you decide, or God decides. I think God decides. It's time to get out the shovel. And dig up that root. And it's hard work. It's much harder than cutting off the shoots. But you're at this stage now. And it's time to dig deep in the heart. And cut out the place from which the desires of the flesh come. It was easy over here to just cut down the tree. Now you've got to go underground where things are not visible. Where they're hard to find. And while you're doing that, everyone else might see that you're ignoring the shoots and they're coming up. And they think you've fallen off the wagon and they start judging you instead of looking at their own past selves. If you spend all your time on those shoots, you'll never get the root out. And you're at that stage in your growth where you've got to dig deep. The other thing about that getting slower is we know, as Paul did, none of us reach the goal, this side of death. Now, we all hope for the day when Jesus returns, and we don't have to be the people that die. We can be the ones that meet him in the air. But none of us reach that goal until we meet him face to face. So if we keep on, I mean, it has to slow down because we're not going to get all the way there till we meet him there's another thing that happens and again I've seen this many times churches groups of believers bodies of believers tend to grow together so if the if the atmosphere in the church that you're a part of like this one here is towards uh, things of the flesh and judging things according to each other and jealousy and then chances are not very many people are are moving very fast at all. But if that shifts and the body of believers that you're a part of are really focused on the goal, are really uh, growing, striving towards that solid food, people tend to grow together. That's why everywhere in the New Testament it talks about you, plural. We do this together, and we grow together, and we we tend to get mature together. doesn't mean we judge against each, each other, but we tend to get mature together. But what happens as we get closer? See, those two spokes cross. Now, as long as we're out here, and you're dealing with your individual issues and I'm dealing with my individual issues. We don't actually know each other all that well except maybe the couple of people real close on the wheel. We don't really get into conflict. But when we get down here, we hit hard stuff. We hit stuff that you're probably going to disagree with me till we die. You know, you have one person... Just to, just to use a couple of examples, but I mean, I've encountered this many times. You have one person who grew up in a home where alcohol was abused and had struggles with it themselves. They'll always have the opinion that a good Christian doesn't even touch the stuff. You may have another person where it was, was used differently in the home and, and they, they just like a glass of wine with a steak doesn't matter what argument you bring or what scripture, you're not going to change their mind about whether or not that's okay. So you're here, and there's a conflict. It's not because you're out here immature. It's because you've reached the level of immaturity where you're both chewing on the same piece of meat. You've reached the place where the deep things, the hard things, the things that don't move easily you reach you could have two people you could have different people in a church and many churches have split over this one some people who who believe that that uh, Jesus is going to return will meet him in the air and then there will be 7 years of tribulation and then those who are saved during that time are and Jesus comes again and there's very variations on that and there's people that believe that just just there's no there's you can't even be a christian if you don't see it that way and then there's other people who believe that that The talk about tribulation is is kind of a symbolic for describing all of the tribulations of the church throughout all of history. Now, out here, you might have... Well, first of all, people who just become Christians don't even know those are categories or things to talk about or think about. They just know he's coming and they're happy. But as they grow in maturity, they start to search the scriptures. They start eating the meat. And on some of these things that are not this stuff that we all have to agree on, They come to different conclusions. And then they're on the board of the church together because now they're in the mature and people have elected them to lead. And now they're in conflict. And they think, what happened to our spirituality? We can't even get along with our brothers and sisters. And what so often happens is they run into that conflict so often in churches, we bounce off that conflict and say, that's too dangerous, we can't go there. Let's just not talk about th- those things, let's not. And we, we, we kind of get stalled in our growth. We kind of get stalled in our race. The other thing that happens is if we can do what's on the screen. Okay, I disagree with you. But the thing we're disagreeing on does not make a difference on whether we're going to be in heaven with Jesus or not. It's not on that level. So instead of judging one another, we're going to look at our own races and work together and move past where those spokes cross. That's when we get to the place of beautiful, striving together, gospel living, forgiving one another, bearing with one another, loving one another truly, even with our differences. That's where we start to taste heaven. That's when we get close enough that we start to taste it. That's where Paul said, I've, I've, I've remained faithful. I've fought the fight. I've finished the race. Now, this is not something I'm going to point to a particular Bible verse, but we can, we can think about that from our own Bibles very easily. Do you remember when Paul was ministering to the Gentiles, growing up a Gentile church, and teaching them that they did not have to follow the Jewish law to be Christians? Then he went off on a journey, and Peter, because of persecution at Jerusalem, ended up in that church where Paul had been. And when Paul returned, he found out that Peter had overturned all of his teaching and taught them they have to follow the Jewish law. You ever look up, I'm not going to read them to you, but you ever look up the words those two men had? There was sparks. There was major conflict in that church. They did not agree on that issue. Later on in Paul's letters, Paul refers to Peter as a dear brother and encourages the churches to listen to him when he comes and visits because he has all the truth of God. It doesn't say exactly how they came to an agreement on that. They got past the conflict. And were working together in unity afterwards. The conflict was real. It was hard. It threatened to destroy their friendship. They got past it. And then we can also think about Paul on, on the, remember he took Mark along and then Mark deserted them. And then the next time he went on a trip, he refused to take Mark, and I think Barnabas took Mark instead, and they went separate trips. That was a conflict. That was a a serious difference of opinion, a different strategy. there There was no bringing that together. They couldn't resolve it except to separate. And later on in Paul's letters when he's in prison, we find that Mark is ministering to him, and he's referring to Mark as a dear, faithful brother who he couldn't do without. He got past it. The two of them got past it. They got to the other side, but they got to that conflict. I mean, people who are being sent out by the Holy Spirit on missionary journeys, they're fairly long, far along on the, uh, on the journey towards godliness. We don't, you know, the Holy Spirit just doesn't call people with no maturity into that kind of work. They didn't bounce off and say, oh, I'll just kind of hang out and avoid the conflict. They work their way through. But that's what happens when we grow. We get closer together. We get to know each other deeper. We, we come, in, come to those things that, that are very difficult and cause us to disagree with each other. But the mark of maturity, the mark of a mature church, is the ability to keep going towards the goal. To forgive one another, to bear with one another when it really means something because I'm not going to give up what I think on that. And neither are you. But we recognize it's not the main issue. The main issue is bringing people into the kingdom. The main issue is striving towards godliness and, and behaving towards one another as Jesus would, as godly people. Jesus didn't agree with anybody on everything that he interacted with, but yet he loved them and lived with them and went towards the cross with them. Even Judas, even Judas, right to the end, he strove to live in harmony with. Well, I don't really have a conclusion to this message. I was just remembering some of the things that my father illustrated with the bicycle wheel and thought I'd share that with you as thoughts for the new year. But it, it, it all just revolves around this, this one idea. When we, when we think about our spiritual growth, it's just not appropriate to compare ourselves to others. You don't know the obstacle they've run into. Or if they've gone far ahead of you, you don't know the help they've had. You don't know the other secret areas where they're struggling. It doesn't matter anyways. Because if we compare, we'd go exactly against um, 1 Corinthians. We become jealous and quarrel, and that proves that we're controlled by the sinful nature. So instead of comparing ourselves to each other, either to make ourselves feel good about where we are or to feel depressed about where we are because we haven't gone as far as the others, we just compare ourselves as Paul did. I've run my course. I've remained faithful. I've finished the race. And that's, uh, that's my hope for you and me and everyone.